0: you're listening to the broadway podcast network why don't you introduce yourself and be like hi this is my name and this is what i'm so arpita is doing i just like said i wanted you to introduce yourself (laughs) never mind that's gonna be edited out (laughs) this is east side story and i'm your host chiang Ung. Each week, I sit down with an Asian or Asian-American artist working in the New York theater scene and I excavate their life story. How they grew up, how they got their start in theater, as well as projects they've worked on and upcoming work that we should anticipate. This week's guest is Arpita Mukherjee. She is the artistic director of Hypocrite Theatre Company, the book writer of Monsoon Wedding, a 2018 O'Neill Directing Fellow and Lincoln Center Directing Fellow, and her resume is basically too long to list. I am working with Arpita on my musical, The Golden Threshold, and her relentless insight into dramaturgy is remarkable. I'm extremely thankful to be able to call her my collaborator and friend, and it's a gift to be working alongside her.
1: Hi, uh, my name's Arpita Mukherjee. And I am the artistic director of Hippocrite Theatre Company and the founder. I always keep forgetting that. It's like I'm, I was hired <laughs> or something. But I'm uh, the founder and artistic director of Hippocrite Theatre Company. I am also a director um, and I work on primarily new work, uh, new musicals and new plays. Uh, yeah, that's kind of what I do. I love I do. That you're
0: like so nervous and you're like fiddling.
1: <laughs> I don't like talking about myself specifically. Why? But-
0: You're so amazing. Like, you do so much good stuff. And, like, you need to talk about People need to know who you are.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm here. (laughs) I'm not scared at all. (laughs) Let's dig deeper. (laughs) Um,
0: Talk a little bit about uh, your childhood. So before that, like, how long have you been living in the city?
1: You know, I just, someone asked me that a couple of days ago. And I was like, oh, my God, I've been living in the city for eight years. Wow.
0: And where did you move from?
1: I moved from D.C., Um, D.C. area, Northern Virginia to be specific for those Nova folks out there. (laughs) Yeah.
0: And so eight years and um, how do you find the city? Do you like it?
1: Uh, Yeah, the city is my home. I mean, I'm a New Yorker Mm -hmm. for the good and the bad. Like I say that as like kind of a matter of pride, but also just like I think the city encompasses both whatever strengths I have, but also my flaws. So I say that not as like, badge of honor but just like a reality that this is my city it's where I feel most at home I feel really neurotic and out of place in most other places Um, with the exception probably being Bombay is probably the other place I feel mumbai uh closer <laughs> doing but, too
0: much golden threshold
1: yeah <laughs> uh but um but yeah i love it i love it i never want to leave okay. let's go like
0: all the way back to like mm. early arpita times and like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: early times
0: um where did you grow up and uh how big was your family what was that experience like mm.
1: um i grew up i was born and i grew up in new delhi mm. um and i mean I lived in a nuclear family. My My parents were living in New Delhi, but were part of a much bigger extended family, uh, which was sort of all over the country. I mean, I'm Bengali. I'm from the eastern part of India. Uh, but uh, my family was partly in Calcutta, partly in that at that time at that time in Patna, but uh, and it was we used to get together for holidays, but I was to say I was definitely New Delhi kid um and uh grew up really like anglophilia bringing like mm-hmm. reading charles dickens enid blyton um but it was a very performing arts loving family and arts loving family where we went to concerts uh listened to indian classical music um and i studied uh, singing with my grandma uh, tagore music bengali music and um and, like, my dad was really into films and music and theater. And so it was just a – I was just from a very young age, very exposed to the arts. Um, all I mean, in Delhi, the culture was not as arts-oriented as my family, who was from Calcutta. So every time we'd go visit, they, the kids never had time because they would go from school to, like, drawing – like, art class and then, like, music class and then dance class. And they're like, what are you doing? And I was like, watch TV. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it was my family was very um, – very artistically inclined and it was that was made up a big part of how we interacted and hung out with each other so I think that's something even though nobody did it as a profession um, it was really something that defined how I identified as a human being was the arts were a big part of my life Mm -hmm. do you have siblings uh, I have one sister. Mm-hmm. She's a doctor. Wow. She's the good one. Uh, and, uh, but yeah, uh, but we also dance. So when I got married, she did an Odyssey, Odyssey dance. And so, you know, it's it also, it's it's a kind of a stereotype. I remember people telling me, like, Indians do everything. And I was like, well, arts are just like a part of how you interact in your community you dance you sing um so i think it's it's a part of everyone's life yeah
0: when did you move to the states
1: i moved to the states in 96 oh wow that's a while ago 96
0: now not that long i mean it was long ago it was like 23 years ago 23 years ago
1: wow wow Wow. mental math
0: hashtag asian
1: (laughs) (laughs) i the funniest thing is i was just gonna say 13 (laughs) and then i was like how old am i (laughs) How could I have moved here 13 years ago? This doesn't make sense. Yeah. So
0: did you go to school here as well? Like, like, did you do um, part of like your, I don't know what the system is in, in India. Is it primary, secondary, or is it like elementary, high school? Is it it's, American it's system? Primary,
1: it's primary, secondary. So the so British it's a, system. Yeah, it's a British system. Um... I came here in, I was still, that was still elementary school mm-hmm. here. Uh, that would have been towards kind of the end of primary school, you know, mm-hmm. f- uh, fourth, fifth grade. Um, and and then I had the joy of being able to go to middle school, which <laughs> <laughs> nobody, I think, really wants. <laughs> it's kind of a nightmare, like seventh, eighth grade and like a different school. Um, and uh, But I had a really, really hard time. Adjusting school was that. very tough for me. I was just raised first of all. I think in India, um, you are really you really develop emotionally very close, almost charged r- relationships. Your friendships are very, very close. It's mm-hmm. very, it's very intimate, I would say, you know. So, I had these, there was a group of us, and we were just such close friends, um, and in India, also, what was really valued was that you were good at school and you were good in the arts. That meant you were a popular kid. Wow. Uh, that's so. You know, I it was like every year the rankings would come out, and like the top three students, which, and I think is terrible and shouldn't be there but those were the most kind of admired kids so being good in school was and i wouldn't say i was that good in school uh, in india but that was something that was admired when you
0: say you weren't that good in school were you like number 2 i was
1: like usually like 2 or 3 <laughs> and it was really upsetting and my best friend we used to always be number 1 and and i remember when our and you you know you'd do your exams and you'd get your pa- you get your papers back and i'd get like 49 out of 50 and she'd have gotten like 49 and a half so the the thing that separates the three, you know, it wasn't. This much. is the most ancient thing you would say. Like,
0: I was not that great in school. I was just number two. Oh my god, so relatable.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, and the, and the thing was, I have to say that I was just. I have a very, still a very good memory, and so. I was a very, very indisciplined student. I just did not have any discipline, and no. And like, she still got forty nine yeah, out of yeah. fifty. Yeah, so. but I had a really good memory, so I would just, I would just be able to remember things really well. But, um, and you know, you were really supposed to excel.
0: You, mm-hmm.
1: you were encouraged to excel, not fit in. I know people may not think that about, um, Asian communities, but the thing that drives us that everyone's like, there's a million, a billion people like you. Right. So you have to stand out. Right. Um, and when I moved to the US, it was immediately, I was a, you know, still had an accent, um, obviously dressed in a certain kind of way. Also, any day you have uniforms, so clothes mm-hmm. are not, you don't think about what you're going to wear every day. It's not, you know, and it, already at sort of like 10, 11, there's fashion, there's like what brand you're wearing. I mean, it was very very culture shock in a way that I just... I just knew how to, like, go to school, hang out with my friends, and study. Like, right. those were the pillars of my life, not, <laughs> so, like...
0: <laughs> so Asian. But also so true. I mean, Singapore is also a British colony, so mm. we had... Well, it was a British colony, so we also had uniforms, we also had, like, structure and rigor, and, of course everyone expected you to excel in school but once again i think i mean we're not going to go into that but like the whole idea of like standardized testing and like that is a certain way of doing things and Mm. i think it worked for certain people but it definitely didn't work for everybody but i mean if you succeeded in that you would find you know quote-unquote success right yeah Yeah. in 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 the society that that we were in yeah so i think it's that's something very similar yeah
1: yeah I think, um, but here I felt that there was an, I was very ahead in everything when I came to the US, super ahead in math. I was also a really fast reader Mm -hmm. because you just had to read and memorize so much more in (laughs) India. I just used to read, you know, the homework assignments. I'd get home and like in an hour, I'd be like, done. And my dad was like, you know, so. uh, But you know what happened is I was so ostracized for it Mm. um, and so disliked for being ahead or raising my hand that I forced myself into being more mediocre. Oh my God. So by, uh, in about, a year and a half, I was just like everyone, you know i i didn't I didn't push myself because I think I've always been someone that I think that's why I do arts. I need community and uh, people around me to thrive. Mm-hmm. I'm not kind of like, you know, a loner and I'll just do my own thing and just be really great at it. Which a lot of kids, I kind of envy those kids because I think I came really ahead in things. Um, in in especially school, but just had a real intellectual uh, curiosity that I kind of instead was like, Oh my god, if I like vacuum, I remember we, my parents used to have like, okay, if you want to make more pocket money, which was like not is not a thing in, you know, the because we, I wanted to go shopping, they were just like you have to <laughs> and there was a dollar we'd get if we vacuumed the whole house. So my <laughs> sister would just keep vacuuming the house over and over again just so we could buy like at that time it was Abercrombie or something. I mean, we had such like when I look back at it I was like Wow, or I could have just read more books during that time, <laughs> but did not. Uh, so I you were becoming more
0: and more American.
1: I was becoming very like more and more American. We'd watch all the TV shows because so that our accent would go away, you know, and things like that. And and I had then also completely lost touch with sort of like more the classical arts, mm. Indian arts. The only thing I stayed connected with the whole time was Bollywood. I wow. never lost Bollywood. It was like the one thing. That I I would still watch every Bollywood film. It was why, the only why? thing I I don't know. I've always just been really fascinated. It was always such a dreamscape in a way, or or maybe it was it was Bollywood films were just still helping me escape how lonely I felt here. Mm. It's probably what it was, and it was a way to connect with culture that was most accessible. It was also the thing I think people don't realize about India is that every. Indians are super diverse, you know, and I came from a particular Bengali, really traditional arts, you know, classical arts culture, but most of the kids I was meeting didn't come from that. They Mm -hmm. came from more like Bollywood or folk or, you know, kind of, uh, and so what our common language even for as indian americans was hey did did you go see this indian movie with you know all the all the parents and the kids would go to the local indian movie theater and watch it and you know so it was also the our shared experience despite we all spoke different regional languages so it was like this one thing that united us um
0: that's so beautiful because it's like you know I know it's, this is also a stereotype of me saying this, but a lot of people view, like, for example, Indian people, and then it's like, oh, you're all the same. You're yeah. all Indians. Yeah. So, like, you must have yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. so much in common. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of commonality in terms of, like, being Asian, being a certain race, mm. being, you know. But yeah. then there's also so much that differentiates us. Yeah, like, we,
1: we make up a lot of the world. So, of course, we're, you know, <laughs> going to be really varied and different. Uh, and, and I think that, or, you know, when people are like, um, they assume like the people will ask me questions about you know Indian cuisine as chicken tikka masala or whatever you know that, that I grew. up That's eating. also
0: like not real, isn't it? Like, yeah. isn't that invented here?
1: It's invented in British. In, yeah. in Sorry, in British. <laughs> well, I'm tired. Uh, it invented the UK by 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 an a British man. That's what I wanted to say. Who wanted to serve in make Indian food more palatable for Brits? Yeah. And, yeah. And now it's eaten everywhere. Mm. And and the the closer thing, the better. A dish you want to look for and is a good test for an Indian restaurant is if they have butter chicken. Butter chicken is a North Indian dish that is par, like far, 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 far more delicious than chicken tikka masala. You heard so, it here first. <laughs> please look for that in an Indian restaurant. And if don't, that
0: doesn't pass the grade, then like then don't don't eat go there.
1: there. Don't go there unless it's a buffet. <laughs> Because then the quantity and the variety will make up. But like, look at their menu, and if they don't have butter chicken and they only have chicken tikka masala, I don't. Know, I like may be, place. I may be like, talking smack about some great Indian restaurants right now. But yeah, <laughs> it's great. And so, a tip, a pro tip.
0: <laughs> so, um you went through high school, middle school, yeah. high school here, and did you do a lot of like performing arts, like American performing arts, when you were in the high school? No,
1: no, I didn't do. Well, I took a, I took a drama I took drama in in middle school, um, and I my great my best friend in middle school was uh, Christina Gaddy, who now sings all over the world. Shout shout, sing, shout, shout out shout what, out! Yeah, what? Christina, you're, she does postmodern jukebox. <gasps> yeah, um, she was my best friend in middle school. That's amazing. And do you we, still keep in touch? Yeah, we totally keep in Sorry. touch. And she and we used to talk about musical theater a lot, um, and theater, and she she was kind of really a fan of old Hollywood films, you know, and I realized that many Bollywood films were plagiarized from old Hollywood, <laughs> old Hollywood films through uh, hanging out with her. But we used to like, uh, you know, and that was, that was sort of um, some connection I had, but I was very much supposed to become a doctor. It was, mm. it was ordained. I was good. I was good in science math. I wasn't bad at it. So there was no reason to really um, not do that. But I, wasn't sh- excited by it. But Same. it was only high school, kind of late high school, that I felt that. But I had no idea what to do because there was no one that looked like me Right, doing
0: it. That is so interesting because this is, like, so real. I mean, I mean, there are people who look like you when you're back in your home country, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. everyone in India, it's kind yeah. of like a homogenous yeah, yeah. society right. where, like, the people you see in the media there are... Yeah. You know, Indian people. But like in America, that's a completely yeah. different yeah. situation. Yeah. And like I definitely excelled in science and math and I was like supposed to be a lawyer, didn't do it. Like yeah. that was like the first blow to my parents. Yeah. yeah. And then like went into like the whole like it's crazy. But I'm I'm also like, isn't it very stereotypical? Is it like because we're Asian, that's why we have to like be doctors and be lawyers? Is that like I know it's a huge stereotype, but then part of the stereotype is that it's true. Like
1: Yeah, I think part of that, uh, I I think what's worth investigating in that stereotype is why that may have come to be, (laughs) you know? And I think part of that, part of the reason for that is how um, we come mostly from colonized nations, Mm -hmm. you know? We come mostly from nations where they saw that there were certain positions of power you know in india there a big thing is becoming an is officer it's sort of like a civic government position what is it called again is officers they're sort of like it's like you take a civil service exam and you and you can do it it's they they also kind of like run I'm probably messing this up. I probably don't know this exactly, but they're also kind of like run the police departments and the sort of like criminal investigation department, and you have to do really well on certain exams to do it. That's a hangover from the British, mm. but is still really in, in a in a place where you would say doctor engineer. Doc, it's really that's a really really important.
0: Um, that is so interesting that you like highlight I didn't even think about this I'm thinking a lot about what you just said in terms of we come from colonized nations and it's a leftover situation mm-hmm. because we're seeking that power that control yeah. and yeah, and that's like the path towards success because that seems like what is successful that was that was literally left behind by the British,
1: yeah. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, I think. And, and you know, a financial power, right, um, is is something you want to seek. And, and so I think that's really where that comes from. It's not just some like ordained genetic thing that like Asians want to be, you know, that's I, I think it's worth investigating. Uh, it's an easy stereotype to make when you've been the community that has had the privilege to choose whether you want it to be a doctor. you know what I mean. but it's it's when you look at it, it's because um, resources were taken from when when the imperialists took resources that took away people's ability to dream. So when you rebuild a nation, or you know, you build a nation, it's it's not everything is not available to you. Things have been taken from you. Things have, you know, there was infrastructure built too. But um, and also, there's no way to imagine uh, any of these colonized nations as not post-colonial, as a not affected culturally by colonization of what is class and what is what is success and hierarchy. A hundred percent.
0: Like. Even the conversations nowadays that are revolving around, I mean, gay rights, LGBT rights, and and trans people, like just the conversation of these have always existed in India, mm. and they were taken away because there were Western influences mm-hmm. imposed upon mm-hmm. it, and then it's like the West tells you this is wrong, yeah, and then you ad- you like you adopt that you know that thought process, and you'd be like, oh yeah, that is wrong, and you you have laws that are that are you know residual from the British rule and. They are still in effect in some countries, aka Singapore. Mm. And and then India mm-hmm. just, like, recently, you know, decriminalized homosexuality. And that's very interesting that a lot of people are like, well, it was never criminalized to begin with. It was because the West came in and criminalized it. That's why there's this whole process, right? So it's like, it is kind of like the process of, like, decolonizing. Yeah,
1: yeah. It, that's really... Well put. People talk about this with India and and, and gender, of course, too, you know, uh, rights for women. And it's really interesting because there's, if you trace it back, part of a lot of the decline in existing women's rights happened when colonization happened. Mm. And just the idea of um, actually even sexuality and sensuality and Mm. sort of, building laws around that is super British. It's like, you know, the idea of the blouse that goes with the sari. I love telling the story because like saris were never supposed to be worn with blouses. The Brits invented the blouse because they got too distracted (laughs) by the women in saris, you know, without wearing blouse. So there's all these beautiful photos of my grandma just like wearing a sari. She's not wearing a blouse, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, and like, that's where the blouse you know, to where it under it comes from. So the idea of even legislating a woman's body um, is 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 it's definitely very very colonial.
0: Oh my god, I'm just like having like kind of like an epiphany in terms of like how many countries have Brit Britain personally affected, e- even America, right? Like just like across the world,
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. how
0: many countries who are now sovereign they have literally affected. But I wouldn't say like it's all for. The worst, you know, like, I—that's I, a whole other conversation oh, yeah, to go that's into. A really that's complicated a complicated thing. So complicated.
1: Well, I, I think it's mostly for the worst. But as <laughs> most things that are happen in the world, they are they they have. Some, but you know, when people say like, "Oh, but they give us the railroads," I'm like, it kind of assumes that like India would have never built railroads. <laughs> like, how you know a sophisticated uh, uh, and a civilization that was so highly sophisticated? could have probably figured out how to build a railroad, you mm-hmm. know. So in a way, when people say that of, of you know, brought education, I'm like, well, it brought a certain type of education. Mm-hmm. People were still being educated in India. Um, and, and, and in some ways didn't help necessarily um, – some of the other things, but yeah, anyway, it's 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 comp it's a complicated relationship. But I don't think it's like, hmm, maybe it would have been worse if they didn't colonize us. I reject that right. completely.
0: Right. I mean, it's a totally different. While well, we can't imagine it, first of all, yeah. Well, maybe yeah. someone should write something that's like completely yeah. that. Right. It's like yeah. there's the show like The Man in the High Castle if like the Soviets won. And what would the world mm. be like? Oh, yeah, Maybe someone should, you know, you heard it here first. I I renounce my idea. You can go write it. Right? Write something like, what if the world was never colonized in the first place? Oh, what my would God. that be? What a great play. Oh, my God. Maybe I should write that. Write
1: that play. Here we go. Here we go. Let's what... I mean, that,
0: that's very interesting. I think that's very interesting, especially thinking about how nowadays when we... You know how... okay. I, I, this is something that I, I grew up thinking because I, I was educated, like, there was a lot of Western influence
1: mm-hmm.
0: with a lot of, like, Eastern influence in my life. I'm mm-hmm. literally a walking, like, dichotomy mm-hmm. and, like, just everything is fighting a against A post-colonial other. figure, perhaps? <laughs> <laughs> just, like, so raw Like, so many opposing thoughts. Yeah,
1: and, yeah, yeah.
0: And, and I wonder, like, you know how we, like, see... Um, colonies or like people who people who are just like not in the cities who like still live in
1: mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm.
0: non technology like not influenced by technology and then we were like oh, why are they doing like people sometimes will be like why are they doing that why are they not part of the twenty mm-hmm. first century mm-hmm. where. Mm-hmm who's to say that they don't have a good life? Who's to say that they have not found what they wanted in life and in that society and that community that they built?
1: And and who's to say they are not being inventive? Yeah. You know, or that they don't, that their culture and their practices don't have progress. Uh, I feel like for, um, in most of the world, and this actually, uh, I think about this a lot when I think about climate, is that I think it's a fundamental shift of what we think is valuable in our life and what we are, making progress towards you know and and if it's amenity and ease and luxury which have been really the modes in which uh, west has led the path and this is progress you know having a car is like has led the way It, it makes me wonder if it's if that's truly progress, or or if other cultures are, have been inventive in other ways um, in terms of how they use resources, right? Um, and that is a different kind of progress, but perhaps teaches us something about existing in this world that is that is useful. So I'd I'd be super interested in that play too, you know, and just how 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 a nation that has never been colonized would think about progress and create its own chart
0: of progress is, you know i'm like getting progress. very inspired like so inspired this is like great uh, but also it's like so um paradoxical because we are recording in a recording studio using all this modern technology <laughs> to talk about progress and tradition and it's just so hard to exist right now yeah. it's like what is right you can't you, you just they are all in opposition
1: and this tension is is not resolvable, you know, in in the way that... I, I, I studied post a lot, so I think about this a lot. But even the tension of what it means that we tell our stories in English. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's been a huge movement in India to especially in theater, to, to not do theater in, in the English language. Mm. Um, and it, it's a sort of decolonization of theater. But then what does it mean for people like us who were educated in English, you know? Um I don't. I think that tension is is where a lot of drama is, mm-hmm, <laughs> so and worth mining. But I don't think it's it's resolvable um, in any way because we can't we can't live like that. That's an interesting thought experiment, even. But like, we can't exist. And I, how does a person who is actually post colonial dream up a world? Right? Like, how yeah. do we? <laughs>
0: Like no one has lived through that, really.
1: How do we dream up a world in which that was not that was not how we lived, or you know, it's 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 super, super interesting and kind of.
0: I would love to go down that road.
1: You're going down it right now. I feel it. Like. <laughs> I, I see it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, I think, a
0: perfect segue into like theater. Yeah. So, like. You came. When did you start doing theater, the way that you're doing it right now?
1: Oh, the way I'm doing it right now? Um, I think probably some, what, 10 years ago or so in D.C., Um, I was... Did I you was, go to college in D.C.? I went to college at UVA, um, and I studied English, so it was really not... I, I, I really thought I was going to be a fiction writer. Oh, wow.
0: I mean, yeah. you are a writer, and you are writing fiction, too, not like books and novels but
1: yeah i was like i was cuz going back to this like who looks like me the only people i could think of was Arundhati Roy had just written God of Small Things which is probably the single most impactful story that ha- i have like read or experienced in my life can you
0: say that title again
1: it's God of Small Things Great. by Arundhati Roy never uh, never read it i'm going to go read it now. it's amazing and she's an amazing writer and she has um uh, also, a new second novel that's great, The Ministry of Unhappiness. Um, and Jumpa Lahiri, uh, who wrote uh, The Interpreter of Maladies, her short story collection, won the Pulitzer. Wow. And um, so there were two writers who were really. Um, had captured the world's imagination. And so I was like, I could do that. Um, and so I really wanted to be a fiction writer. And in one of the courses I was taking at UVA, we had to write a play and I, I wrote a play. And I submitted that play to a festival that the Smithsonian was doing uh, for, for South Asian writers. And I submitted it and that play made it. And then I was in the room with another director, saw the director directing and, you know, he's a great friend of mine. And, and, but I wanted to do that. I felt like I had a sense of how to craft a performance, like just instinctively. I didn't know anything about directing, but I felt like I knew how to, how to shape a performance.
0: Was that like the turning point for you? Like call It was a
1: turning point. It was a call. It was, I, I think at that moment I was just, wanting to do that and but i definitely had no clue how to do it professionally Mm -hmm. so i started interning assisting washington shakespeare company shakespeare theater company um and was like particularly very interested in classics but it was dc was also a classics town Mm -hmm. so it it, you know at that time of course um so that was sort of what i did but very quickly i I decided that there was certain stories i wanted to tell and so i started a I started a company and, you know, a lot of the the community who had those jobs, you know, who were doing theater as a hobby, well, they had great jobs. They were making a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So they would say, okay, we'll, like, produce this, you Mm -hmm. know, and and fund this. So it was sort of, that's how, it was really like a, I feel like I'm much more a startup entrepreneur uh, than someone that really believed. I think I never believed that I would come up an institution. I could just see that, you know, I just... E, because I didn't know how to play that game, because fundamentally as an artist, I knew where I was interested and where I was really strong and what I was really passionate about. And it didn't align. Nobody at that time especially cared about. Like, you could not go into an institution and say EDI or inclusion or, di- like, diversity. Which I is mean, all these, I, like,
0: buzzwords but, that yeah. are happening right now, which I also have, like, a lot of feelings about, but
1: nobody um. cared. They were just didn't they they really didn't care. And I don't think I had the language for it. The language I had was like this is this great story that I think is theatrical and I think there's an audience for it because you're not I have this I come from this huge community that never goes to the theater. Mm. Um and and that was kind of the move to then start this company and and start making work that way and some of that was taking classics some of that was doing new work but always supported and fully funded and supported and like really helped the company thrive was the south asian community for sure Mm. um so it it helped me start directing at a very young age um and just failing a lot but it would just be fine because it was just like oh, hi, auntie, hello, uncle, you know, and they were like, great, good job. But I was I was learning, I was getting better, but I was doing it by doing it. Yeah. And like in a very stakes way. Then I somehow was really fortunate enough to start working on Monsoon Wedding, which was again, a big like move into like, all of a sudden I was working on a major commercial musical, first as an associate director, now I'm the book writer. Um, so it just, Things just started happening because I just said yes to things. Mm-hmm. I would just because I wanted to do so many different things, and I think I didn't even think I would direct musicals. And now I work on so many new musicals. Uh, it's so exciting, but also I'm like, wow. Um, and so it was, it's been kind of, uh, it was a lot of things that I think kind of came together a year and a half ago when I started realizing that I wanted some space outside of the company to direct to and just wanted to see if, oh my God, this is going to sound terrible, but like if everyone else thought I was good at this, Mm -hmm. I think you do reach that. I mean, directing, now I know that I'm doing well for my age, but like I started very young and I've been doing it for a while and you kind of sometimes are like, Thing gonna happen, you know, and then you kind of need like a fellowship or something to come and be like, "No, keep doing it." Like yeah. we think you're there's something here. Yeah, I mean, it we, needs to be
0: in a conversation with something. an audience, yes, yeah. uh, any anything. Any, it's not, it's not, it's not created in a vacuum. Like, yeah, unless you're just say.
1: then you're just journaling, which is fine, <laughs> which is great. If you please keep journaling, I'm not saying it's not important, but it doesn't. Journaling doesn't need validation, mm-hmm. but creating a piece of art does, and that always. And, you know, it makes it tricky because who are you seeking this validation from, you know?
0: Ooh, we want to-, we want to talk about that. <laughs> whole uh. the conversation. <laughs> but I think, I, for me at least, I think um, the word validation, maybe the word is like, I love to use the word conversation. Mm-hmm. I love to use the word mm-hmm. conversation because... I, I personally don't need to be validated by an audience, but I want my work to have a conversation, to start a conversation, to engage in a mm. conversation mm-hmm. with whoever who's seeing the work, right?
1: Mm-hmm. So, I thought we were getting real in this podcast because I, I definitely I, seek validation, <laughs> being real, you know? But I think what has changed for me is who I seek validation from. Mm. I've realized that now I have a group of people that I will go to and be like, because my work is rigorous but the only way I can enact that rigor is if I'm getting feedback about what my work is doing and how it's it's operating. Um, and But now I know who that is.
0: Right. I mean, as a it's, young artist, it's very hard to do that because it's like you hear all these feedback from all these places yeah. and you're like, you want to incorporate all these things. Yeah. But truly, totally. how many of them do you really want to listen to? And how many people do you respect enough to want to listen to their stuff? And, and really... I think it all has to do with trust, mm. you know, if mm-hmm. you don't, you have to trust this person enough to be like, give me the tea, give, like, tell mm-hmm. me everything mm-hmm. that is good, that is bad. And yeah. and sometimes it's hard to get that kind of validation once again, right, quote unquote validation from people that maybe you don't completely trust and maybe you shouldn't be listening to that.
1: And yeah, if- who's, who's, whose own agendas might... My- are are different or their own critical framework i mean that's something we're talking about more now um than we have before which i really appreciate because you know you do everybody has a critical framework.
0: yeah everyone has personal biases everyone comes from you know you bring literally your entire life experience into the room when you're critiquing Mm. something that like doesn't do i want to do i want all that baggage yeah when i'm looking at the well, work. And,
1: and if you just realize you know i mean we just had uh, we just talked about the golden threshold and i said this is my critical framework you know if you if someone comes to you with that you know what their point of view is and then you can listen or not but it's not about um it's not that my critical framework do, or that it doesn't exist i feel like we've been operating in a world where like critics or or gatekeepers have some kind of understanding of what good work is that is not tied to what their understanding of what good work is. Oh, hundred percent. Um and it, so so I just think like that's that's something I've kind of evolved to to and not that everybody I want to hear from has the same of course they don't, but that I, I've kind of cultivated a community where I know
0: we'll give you different viewpoints. We'll that give me maybe... different
1: viewpoints, but the viewpoints I I want mm-hmm. and and I know will be and know what I also recognize what I'm trying to do, right? Like, we learn to give feedback that way. What is the project of the piece? Instead of, I think it should be more the story of mom because, you know, I see mom, In I see myself in mom.
0: (laughs) I mean, going down this, like, critique road, I think that is something that not everybody's equipped with. Mm. Um, But I think it's a learning process because Mm. I think a lot of people don't have... Experience talking about new work. Yeah. Yeah. Literally the point that you just made was so important. What is the intention of the writer? What is the intention of the creator? And whatever you're saying, does it serve the intention or not? And also as the person receiving the critique, you have to also process that, right? It's like, yeah. is this going in line with what I'm trying to accomplish or or it's going against the grain. If, like, someone tells you this should be about this complete other thing, and it has literally nothing to do with what your intention is, maybe you don't want to listen to that.
1: Yeah, totally,
0: totally. But but it's also really hard to, like, toe toe the line of, like, I am just adamant and, like, so stubborn to listen to any critique, and being, like, this is what I'm trying to go for and whether I'm successful or not. Mm-hmm, I think mm-hmm. those, mm-hmm. that makes it, I think I always I always say this, but like writing is easy. Anyone can write, but not everyone can rewrite and not everyone mm. can go through the writing mm. process and ex- literally examine every single word that you put on the page, every single detail that you're trying to go for and accept accept the critical eye on the work. That was a lot. I, w- I want to say, like, that was a lot, wasn't it? Like Yeah.
1: We got, like, <laughs> into colonialism and shit. You said deep. I was like, okay. <laughs>
0: but if you had to give yourself an advice, right? Like, if you think about little Arpita, who just moved mm. to the States, you know, 23, that was what mm-hmm. we said, 23 years mm-hmm. ago, what would you tell her? Oh, my God.
1: That's such a hard question. I don't... And there's so much, actually. I'm not having to, <laughs> trouble whittling it down. I think what I would tell her is that she doesn't need to be, like, the pretty blonde girl. Mm. I think that's what I really wanted. I really wanted to be, like... I remember all the popular girls' names. I really wanted... I, I, it's so... Like, I feel like it's a... Po- I don't know why I'm even sharing this. I don't even think that many people know how badly I wanted to be po- a popular girl.
0: I think that's human. You it know, was, like, I,
1: validation. I, it goes back to <laughs> validation, doesn't it? And, we, and like, as I'm talking about this, I'm like, oh, my God, what does this mean about my life right now? Do I just want to be a... pop? Like, is this... A- oh, my God. Okay, I'm stressed.
0: <laughs> but no, but you literally just said you don't have to be...
1: Yeah, you don't have to that be... That
0: blonde, popular girl
1: yeah i like colored my oh my god i did so many crazy things uh but yeah i think i was not even like a popular indian american kid i, I remember wanting that really bad I remember, i'm not gonna call her out because she's on my <laughs> we're not close anymore but like it was just like popular girl and everybody was like wanting to hang out you know and um Uh, with her and and I felt like my life was very wrapped around still academic success but it was you know it was lonely and then I started kind of becoming friends with this kind of she's still my best friend Taz (laughs) uh you know and this kind of like group that was like kind of rebellious and like you know didn't like really care about school like skipped school all the time and and it's like when I found my kind of family you know my first kind of friend group and it was like Great. But I was still kind of young. They, they were like seniors and they were, you know, graduating. So I started like going to clubs, like drink. I I was a bad teen. I was I like that. a rebellious, <laughs> terrible teenager. Like I can't like I think my dad still looks at me sometimes and he's like, you did something like with your life? Because I would skip school. I was, you know, come home super late, curfew, like just absolute terrible rebel. Do you think that
0: was, like, in an attempt to fit in, basically, yeah. like, medi- like, making yes. yourself mediocre and then, yeah, like, doing exactly. all these things that what you thought would make you popular? Yeah,
1: and hurt my parents terribly, mm. you know? I got a job. My dad just wanted me to excel. Mm-hmm. He, he would always tell me that he was like, okay, even if you want to be, you know, do the arts, I'm not seeing you, like, do things towards that you know it it was more that you're just you're a rebel without a cause and 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 what are you what is it that you are really like running towards or wanting and I, I didn't know I think I was just like wanting to that momentary of like oh my god what if I got invited to all the parties you know and kind of thing that I was really more I started driving really f- I wanted all the things to be cool like, mm. that was really what I wanted. And once, I like, became friends with Taz and that crew, it went – it started going away. Mm. And then by the time I went to college, it really – by the time I went to college, I was just, like, oh, that was dumb, you know? Um, it gets uh, better, guys. It, it gets, gets better. better. <laughs> it gets better. But, like, just no. that that thing is – that piece of – but I think it was as an – I was missing the intimacy at in India with friends. You know, there was just a – there's a lot about coming from somewhere and then trying to find your way in a new country that is deeply challenging, emotionally deeply challenging. That, you know, our parents can't understand. That was another thing. Like, I don't think my parents – because it's a whole different experience. It's a whole different thing. Because they they're are, going
0: through an immigrant experience yeah. of their own. <laughs>
1: they're going through their own thing. And they can't understand, you know. I remember, oh, my God, this is memory. Because, you know, it was, my parents were, they were getting their master's still. So they weren't, you know, in, in jobs yet. And so, you know, they bought us clothes from Kmart, Walmart. And I remember <laughs> just coming home one day and just, like, yelling at my parents <gasps> that they had humiliated me in school, you know, because of. And now I'm like. I don't care, like, what I put on my, like, I care about, but not about brands. And I think it's it's why specifically even now I'm very, like, not brand conscious at all. But that was, like like, buying Abercrombie and Fitch clothes, which I don't even think anybody cares about now, was the obsession of my life. That once
0: again I think that's so American, right? The materialism, yeah. the wanting to fit Skechers in. Skechers
1: sneakers. Oh my god, Skechers sneakers. Like the it was so I now I think like oh my god, I'm so but it it's you know a lot of my friends have kids and like I look at these kids and I'm like oh my god, they're going to grow up and like th- this American school experience, the fact that so many teens are in so much heartache like I get it. I was so, I felt so isolated and alone, like so much. It was really, really, a really troubling, a really hard time yeah. of my life, which could have in in a way gone many ways for me. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think if it hadn't been for my actually, this group of friends, uh, Taz and them, it may have been like really, really dark for me. But they kind of kept, you know, I kind of had a community. And by the time I went to college, like I, I was fine, but...
0: That feels very much like New York, too, right? Yeah. I I think, like, New York...
1: Yeah.
0: The experience in New York, at least from what I've experienced so far, it can be very isolating at times. Yeah. And it's, like, about finding your community. Community, It's about finding the people that you care about that will care about you the same way that you care about them. And it's it's really hard being an artist in terms of, like, oh, how do you draw the line? Like, I want to care about the people that I work with as much as I want to care about their work, you know? Yeah. And... And that's the only way to be, build community, I think, at least. Yeah. And I think that literally you sharing that is so applicable to any stage yeah, of your yeah. life.
1: I, I, think I, feel, I think it's true in New York. And I think being an artist is very isolating and success and, like, you know, failure. I love you, that
0: you brought that up because my next question <laughs> is literally, how would you define success, quote-unquote success, today? Like, if you what would you tell yourself? Like, what do you tell yourself now that's like, do you think you're successful at this point in your life? Do you think that you want to hit a certain thing in order to be successful? Do you think it's a mindset? What would you think that is?
1: You know, I think specifically in this last year where, I mean, of course, people have been like, wow, you're really, you know, you're really like making it or whatever. Um, You are. I don't know why you're brushing that off. I'm getting to that. I think it's because, A, it's, very hard to not compare what you're doing with other people. So hard. It's super hard. You turn hard. on Instagram and yeah. it's like right there. It's really hard, and and so f- and and that and driving yourself to um, more and more and more and more and more, and more is, is is really what I've been doing. And and you know when I when it was like the fellowship started coming, more jobs started coming. I asked people because I'm also I have no time. I have no time and I really don't want to come across as I'm com- as that I'm complaining but I was like oh my god like it's just completely like burnout like almost like getting to burnout but then like then pulling myself back and and so what I realized it had to be and then always feeling disappointed right Mm. because like I didn't I had that opportunity did I do it well enough Mm. because like the artistic director didn't call me and say that was getting a production out of a workshop like so many little little things are going through your brain after that coffee you know like did Did I mess up? Did I not talk enough about my aesthetic? You know, so many things are like always whirling about the performative aspect of what we have to do about how much we know and And what we say. it sometimes gets very icky. It's very icky. Yeah. It can get very icky, you know. And and, and then even at the company, like feeling like, I mean, this uh, hypocrite did so much this year and still feeling like, well, why didn't we get covered by this outlet? Or, you know, so many, you're always dealing with that. And, and for me, like, this year has really been about if this is the next many years of my life, it's not going to work out for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm just, it's just not going to be good.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so what do you think you?
1: So I think for me, I've redefined success. That success as, you know, and looking at, well, that person's doing that and they're already directing there is, I won't say that I don't do it at all but whenever i get to it i start thinking okay what do i want to do because i have a company it actually it's i was really kind of like uh, you know evaluating that do i still need to or want to make work at Hypocrite? and i absolutely do because i feel some power in that because there's like oh i want to do this project and i don't i don't have to always be pitching as a freelance director do you think the
0: word uh, uh, that goes alongside that concept is, like, autonomy, mm. freedom, um, artistic value that you have yeah. control over. I know sometimes it sounds like a, a little... It does sound a little icky. But no, but I, I totally hear what you're saying. Make your own fucking reality. Yeah.
1: That if, if we are in the business of imagining things, then we must imagine a world in which we can work without having to do this twice as hard and all of that. And maybe that means that our goals and our way of working and also way of how we appreciate ourselves is different because the system we say is oppressive is the system that has set up the metric for success. So we can't say, oh my God, the American theater but like what I want are all the s- m- successful metrics that the American theater has set up. Now, I, I, I just think that the, the, if we have to reimagine the whole system, like mm-hmm. that's and otherwise we're just going to be like sad because things move forward and things move, move backwards. Like, you know, it's um, right. I, I think is it the, there was a recent article that the Emmy, Emmys this year, diversity in nominations has gone way down. Interesting. It's gone from, like, 38 last year to, like, 24 this year. So, you know, I'm just saying that, like, we celebrate a year, and then the next year the news is, is like, opposite. So mm. just keeping uh, – so maybe it's not the system. Maybe Emmys shouldn't be. Or do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's I, that's reimagine a whole other, the house.
0: That's such a whole other conversation because, <laughs> like, awards and – Yeah. I mean, we had the conversation about, like, chasing that. Yeah. Validation mm-hmm. and – what does that mean? What, oh,
1: yeah, I, I so can't go things. into that. Yeah, let's move next question. <clears throat> Last,
0: the very I'm, I want to. I do want to say, like, I find you very inspiring because I see you work really hard, and that inspires me to work really mm. hard. Mm. And mm. I mean, for people who don't really have context, we've been talking the whole show, and we really, really don't have a lot of context. We're working together. Yeah. you're directing our show, The yeah. Golden Threshold, that I'm writing with Eric Sorrels, yeah. and I think it has been so invaluable. From the moment I approached you in that musical theater factory open chair, <laughs> <I> I'll <laughs> always remember that because literally, like a few days before or weeks before, I, don't, I don't, once again, man, yeah. it's like you need to know Arpada. I was like, okay, <laughs> uh-huh. let's go find, let me figure this out, and uh-huh. and um and from the moment we we sat down for our first little yeah. drink date, yeah, um with Eric,
1: keyword being drink,
0: <laughs> yeah, uh. Everything that you have given to us so openly in terms of artistically, creatively building the story with us, Mm. examining the story that we Mm. sometimes can be blindsided by because we're not Indian. Mm -hmm. and But we are, I mean, I know people are going to clock me for this, but I'm like, fuck this. But we're all human. We Mm -hmm. really are all human. And we're Mm -hmm. really trying to examine an experience that is so specific that is universal Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. all cultures Mm -hmm. To anyone who struggles with the idea of finding yourself, finding mm-hmm. freedom, what does it mean mm-hmm. to have a life? What does it mean to live on this planet? Mm-hmm. What is your worth? Mm-hmm. And literally everything that you have given to us through so far multiple rehearsal processes and just talking and mm-hmm. and being in the room with you, you are such a light, mm-hmm. and you 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 drive thought and conversation in certain directions that I would we would never even think about. You know, in, our, in just in our artistic lives. Mm-hmm. And I want to say thank you. That's... Aww,
1: that's, that's so sweet. We're going yeah. <laughs> to cry. Because I've not been talking about how I just wanted to be a popular girl. <laughs>
0: <laughs> don't have to be blonde. <laughs> you don't. <laughs> Tru- truly. Because I think what each of us individually contribute to the world is based on our life experiences. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine if you never wanted to be that popular girl, mm. you would not have experienced the things that you have experienced totally. in order to gain literally the insight that you have into the work yeah. that is being produced right now. So it's Yeah, like,
1: I don't think I would be an empath as much <laughs> as I am.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you got everything you wanted, then what's the point, right? Yeah. So before we close this <laughs> out, I would love to ask if you have a question for me.
1: What should I ask you? Well, why, can you tell me more about when you got interested in writing musicals. Yeah. I don't think I've ever asked you all this question. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And I I mean, I think I tell this story sometimes,
1: but
0: Mm. uh, I mean, I'm going to tell you this. I mean, to talk about writing musicals, it has to go back to like why I came to the States in the first place. Yeah, yeah. I came to the States uh, in 2010 for a callback for the Glee Project Mm-hmm. Do you know, you know Glee? Yeah, right? yeah. Right? And so they had this like little spin off reality TV show called The Glee Project. Oh my God. That literally Ali Stroker was in. She just wow. wanted Tony. Yeah, She, yeah, she was yeah. in the second season. Alex Newell was in the first season. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. Like, so I was here for a callback. That was my first time traveling alone ever. Mm. Well, not, uh, well, that's a lie. First time traveling without my parents. Uh-huh. That was my first semester in college uh-huh. back in Singapore. And um, on that trip, I saw Wicked. I always say it's my first show, but it really isn't. My first show was Mary Poppins. But Wicked was the first pair of Broadway tickets I ever bought. And mm. so I sat in that theater. Mm. I saw Elphaba singing. I was crying while she mm. was singing Find Gravity. My friend was sleeping right next to me. <laughs> and I said, this is what I wanted to do. And I never thought wanting to do this. I mean, I, I was an actor. I mean, I still am an actor, but not actively mm. pursuing that. But writing came a lot later i think mm. in in college one of my professors i'm going to shout out to michael wartofsky he teaches musical theater writing and he mm. graduated from this program at NYU a while ago and he he really inspired this entire like my entire college experience was kind of revolved around musical theater mm. i've never been exposed to musical theater as a child mm. i grew up knowing nothing about musical theater um, i've never seen a show in my life like a like a theater show in my life
1: you know, kid, sorry, I'm going to, but it, this is such a common story it's with POC writers or immigrant writers who are like, I had no experience with them. You know, it's so interesting. Anyway, Go ahead. I mean, like, Singapore's theater scene is, th-
0: it's, it's gro- I want to say it's thriving, but it's growing mm-hmm. very rapidly. Um, but as a child growing up, I didn't even get to see Le Mis. Like, I, I, I don't know what that was. Like, I had no context of what musical theater was. And I want to say, I always say that Wicked was a turning point because that whole experience in 2010, December,
1: Hmm.
0: was such a turning point for me that I got a scholarship. I actively sought out a scholarship Hmm. to go to Berkeley. I actively figured out a way to come to America. I couldn't do the Glee Project because I didn't have a visa. I mean, even if I had a visa, I don't know if I would have gotten it. But just like, they were like, you don't have a visa, you have to you know, get one. And I was like, what the fuck is that? (laughs) And I was...
1: Wait, can't I get this job and then you give me the visa? (laughs) That was what I was thinking. (laughs) I was like, what the fuck? What are you talking about? I'm so
0: confused. No. And so, um, writing came a lot later in college while I was doing musical theater in college. And I was doing a lot of, like, songwriting plus pop plus orchestration plus theater. Mm. And it just, like, all came together. Mm. And after I graduated two years later, um... I was living in New York and I approached one of my collaborators with this project that has just been like sitting on my computer that was a college project, eastbound that you mm, saw. Right. And we wrote it. And and I, let me just say, it is insane because I'm, first of all, I've never thought of coming to America ever in my life. It was never in the books. Yeah. And I've never thought about writing, be it musical theater, composition, like composition, like wow. nothing. It, came around so like coincidentally I don't I don't know if that's the word but it just happened
1: oh my gosh and like
0: yes. I realized I could do it well
1: question mark question mark yeah oh my god I'm not gonna ask more questions but were you partly writing to write material for yourself since yes. there's such a scarcity of it Yeah. yes also
0: I mean that was where it started yeah. for sure um,
1: that's how Lynn became
0: <laughs> that is
1: not wrong
0: Did you like that episode of East Story? If you did, follow us on Instagram at East Story Pod and at Chiang Music. Go on to Apple Podcasts, rate us, review us, and don't forget to subscribe. Or if you're a Spotify user, you can also click the follow button. Even better, you can tell someone about the podcast. And the best part, they don't even have to be Asian. Thank you so much for your support, and I'll see you next week.